0: Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 9. Wizardry, Witchcraft and Woe King Arthur sat in his room and smiled a broad smile. Everything was great. He had no enemies left in Britain, he'd conquered foreign kingdoms, he'd married one of the most beautiful women in the land, he'd founded the Order of the Round Table, and he had the best knights in Europe at his service – he had three sisters and many nephews who were fast getting to the age where they could be knighted and join him at the round table. He had a magic sword and scabbard. And best of all, he had the wisest wizard in the world as his friend and adviser. If he felt smug though, he was about to learn that maybe smuggery was something to be avoided at all costs. Maybe Arthur should have realised that all was not going to be well when he was visited by Merlin... The man of magic was his oldest friend and his most important confidant. Without him, Arthur might not have survived long enough to have the chance to be smug about anything. The wizard had been spending a lot of time with Nimue, Lady of the Lake. She had taken some time out from her task of bringing up the young Lancelot and visited Camelot soon after the quests of King Pellinore, Sir Tor, and Sir Gawain. Merlin, it seems, had fallen in love with the magical lady. In myths and legends, as we have seen. And as we will see again, falling in love does not always lead to everlasting happiness. Merlin, when he came to see Arthur, had bad news. Very bad news. My lord, said Merlin, remember what I have told you. Always keep the enchanted scabbard with you and look after it. Otherwise it will be stolen from you by a woman who you trust and you will lose it forever. As for me, I will not be around much longer. A terrible fate awaits me. "'Of course I will look after the scabbard,' replied Arthur dismissively. "'Then his tone became concerned. "'Surely, Merlin, if you know about your fate, then you can change it.' "'Merlin shook his head sadly. "'No, that will not be.' "'And with that, he slowly walked out of King Arthur's court.' "'A few days later, the bad happenings began. "'Once again, the trouble started during a hunt, "'while King Arthur and his friends were chasing a deer.' This time the deer was a huge stag with magnificent antlers. Most of the hunting party lost sight of the stag, but three of them managed to keep up with it. King Arthur, his brother-in-law King Uriens and Sir Accalon of Gaul rode on until their horses were so tired they fell down dead on the spot. The three friends pursued the stag on foot. They caught it and King Arthur killed it. He prepared to return with it, ready for a nice dinner. King Uriens, who was a practical man, realised they'd gone too far to walk back that night. He suggested that they look for lodgings. Arthur and Acalon agreed this was a great idea and walked back towards the nearest road. As they walked, they passed a lake on which was floating a small ship. Arthur, curiosity getting the better of him, beckoned his friends over and all three boarded the boat. It seemed there was nobody about but the ship was richly and beautifully decorated with jewels and silk. Soon, though, it became apparent there were other people on board. Arthur and his companions were blinded by the light of a hundred torches. They were a bit worried until they saw they had been joined by twelve young women. They were fed a sumptuous feast, and then each was led to a bedroom, where, gratefully, they lay down to sleep. When they awoke, they were no longer on the ship. King Uriens had magically been transported back to Camelot and woke up in his bed alongside his wife, Morgan Le Fay. Sir Accalon woke up sitting a few inches from the mouth of a deep well and King Arthur opened his eyes and found himself in prison. Arthur wasn't alone. With him in his dank, gloomy dungeon were twenty knights. Some of them had been there more than seven years. Arthur was in a spot of bother. So, he said... "'Trying to sound positive. "'Whose prison are we in? "'Why are we here? "'Oh, and how do we escape?' "'One of the knights, "'who looked a bit more perky than the rest, "'explained. "'Well,' he began, "'this prison belongs to a knight called Sir Damas. "'He is a very nasty piece of work. "'He has a brother called Sir Onslake, "'who is exactly the opposite. "'He is a fine, strong and honourable knight. "'When their father died, "'they were supposed to inherit everything equally, "'but that's not what happened.' Sir Damas kept everything, and all Sir Onslake has is the house he lives in. Sir Onslake is for ever challenging his brother to fight for their inheritance, but Damas is too much of a coward. Instead, he wants to find a knight to fight for him. He's such a snivelling dog, though, that nobody will raise a sword to help him. So he magically captures knights and puts them in prison. Eighteen knights have died in here because we all refuse to fight for the wretched Sir Damas. As the night was finishing a lady entered the prison arthur thought he recognised her but put the thought out of his mind she told him she was the daughter of sir damas and asked if arthur would fight for her father now this was a tricky one either arthur could fight for a treacherous knight against a noble knight and all the prisoners would be released or he could refuse and keep his honour and rot away in prison until he was dead the imprisoned knights persuaded the king he shouldn't stay in prison and Arthur agreed to fight for Sir Damas. The lady walked away smiling. Her plan was working fine. She wasn't really the daughter of Sir Damas. She was from the court of Arthur's sister, Morgan Le Fay. Arthur's treacherous sister, with the help of her friend, was planning to have him killed. We will see what happens to Arthur soon. For now, let's go back to Sir Accalon, perched precariously near the mouth of a well. Arthur's friends managed not to fall in the well as he struggled to wake up. When his sight had returned properly, he found himself staring at a very small man. I am from the court of Morgan le Fay. It is destined that you are to fight a knight tomorrow. Queen Morgan, who loves you dearly, sends you a gift to help you. You are to bring her the head of the knight which you will fight. He then whispered another message from Queen Morgan into Acalon's ear. To Sir Accalon's great surprise, he was handed Arthur's sword Excalibur. He was also handed the magic scabbard. Somehow Morgan had stolen them from her brother. Accalon, who must have been pretty thick, and also had a bit of a thing for Morgan le Fay, bowed. I will of course do as my queen wishes. With that, a knight, a lady, and six squires turned up, gave Sir Accalon a horse, and led him away. Sir Accalon was led to the house of Sir Onslake. The household was in turmoil. At last, after so many years, it seemed that his brother, Sir Damas, had found the knight willing to fight Sir Onslake over the inheritance. Under normal circumstances, Sir Onslake would have been absolutely delighted, but it just so happened he was very badly wounded. As he was fretting over what to do, Sir Accalon rode into his courtyard and offered to fight for him. Sir Onslake accepted very gratefully, and they travelled together to the jousting field. Arthur, who would be fighting for Sir Damas, also approached the field. While cantering towards the place where he was to meet his opponent, he was stopped by a squire on a large horse. King Arthur turned round and then smiled gratefully. He saw in the squire's hands his sword Excalibur and the enchanted scabbard. The squire handed over the fighting equipment and spoke, "'Sire, your sister, Queen Morgan Le Fay, sends you your sword and scabbard with her great love.' Arthur took them gratefully. Little did he know that the sword and scabbard were just copies, and brittle useless copies at that. Morgan Le Fay had sent the real ones to Sir Accalon. Back in Camelot, the sneaky queen waited for the news that she wanted, that her brother Arthur was dead. The battle began. Arthur knew he was fighting for Sir Damas, but he did not know his opponent, because his helmet covered his head, and his coat of arms was that of Sir Onslake. Sir Accalon knew he was fighting for Sir Onslake, but he didn't know his opponent because his helmet covered his head and his coat of arms was that of Sir Damas. Eagerly the two men went into battle. Arthur wielded his sword with his usual strength and courage, but something didn't feel right. He didn't seem to be landing the blows with his usual accuracy, and the ones he did land didn't seem to have the power he normally felt. This worried Arthur a bit, but he was far more worried by what happened next. His opponent hit him with his sword and pierced his armour. The sword stroke reached Arthur's skin and cut him. Arthur began to bleed. This wasn't supposed to happen. Arthur had a magic scabbard which was supposed to save him from shedding any blood when he wore it. He was wearing it. He was bleeding. Something was badly wrong. More blows fell on Arthur and more he bled. He fought back valiantly and managed to land some mighty blows on his opponent... His opponent, though, didn't seem to lose a drop of blood. It began to dawn on Arthur what was going on. It just made him fight even harder. Vicious blow after vicious blow was struck by the great king, and Sir Accalon was knocked back. No blood was drawn, though. Arthur, extremely concerned, wondered what he was going to do next. Everyone who watched that day said they had never seen anyone fight as magnificently as Arthur fought. They begged the brothers to end the fight and come to an agreement, but Sir Damas refused. This was meant to be a fight to the death. Arthur's strength faded and he prepared himself for one final effort before he died. He swung his false sword, but the weapon could take no more. As it crashed against Sir Accalon's shield, the sword broke in half. King Arthur was defenceless. Sir Accalon spoke in triumph. "'Yield to me, Sir Knight, you are beaten!' I will not, replied Arthur desperately. I have promised to fight to the death. I have no weapon, but I will not yield. Slay me now if you can. Acalon raised Excalibur and prepared to deliver the fatal blow. He began the final arc of his weapon which would kill King Arthur. Arthur, by now pretty desperate, had one last thing up his sleeve. He threw himself at Sir Akelon, shield first. The blow was just strong enough to break his opponent's concentration and knock him off his stride. Excalibur hit Arthur's shield a glancing blow and flew through the air, knocked from Sir Acalon's hands. Arthur picked up the real Excalibur. It felt better. It felt right. Instinctively he knew this was his sword. While Acalon was recovering from the surprise of losing the sword, Arthur struck again. Spying the enchanted scabbard hanging by the knight's side, he grabbed it and threw it as far as he could. Then he set upon poor Sir Accalon, wielding Excalibur with all the strength he had left. At last the blows hit their target, and at last they did some damage. Pretty soon, Sir Accalon was covered in as much blood as King Arthur. ''Now I will kill you,'' said Arthur softly. ''You will have to kill me,'' replied Sir Accalon. ''Like you, I agreed to fight to the death.'' Arthur was about to plunge his sword into his opponent's chest when something made him stop. He thought he recognised the voice of his enemy. "'Who are you?' he inquired. "'What court are you from?' "'My name is Acalon of Gaul, and I am from the court of King Arthur.' Arthur stopped in his tracks. "'Please tell me who gave you that sword and scabbard.' "'It was given to me by Queen Morgan Le Fay. "'The Queen loves me, and I love her, and she hates her brother, King Arthur.' "'more than anyone else in the world. "'She plans to kill him "'and then murder her husband, King Uriens. "'Then she will make me king "'and she will be queen of all Britain. "'I, though, do not want these things any more. "'I despair that I have been a traitor. "'So, fair knight, I deserve my death. "'But before you kill me, "'please tell me who you are.' "'Oh, foolish knight,' said said King Arthur sadly. "'I am King Arthur, "'and what you have told me is the foulest treason.' Oh, my lord, have mercy on me. I didn't know it was you. I will show you mercy, Sir Acalon, even though you planned with my sister to have me killed. It seems that I don't know Queen Morgan very well at all. I knew she practised witchcraft, but I didn't expect her to use her powers against me. I will show you mercy, because she has cast spells on you. I will have to revenge myself on my treacherous sister. When the people realised they were in the presence of the High King of Britain, they fell to their knees. King Arthur turned to Sir Damas. As for you, you pitiful worm, you are the foulest and most odious knight I have ever had the misfortune to meet. You will give your brother everything that should be his and everything that is yours today. You will give the twenty imprisoned knights their freedom and you will never again capture and lock up a knight by forts or witchcraft. If you do, or if you try to get anything back from Sir Onslake. Then you will be killed. Sir Onslake, on the other hand, was invited to become a knight of the round table. Arthur mounted his horse and placed the sorely wounded Sir Accalon on his. They were a few days' journey from Camelot, and it was clear to the king that Sir Accalon was not going to make it, so they stopped at an abbey and the knight received medical treatment from the monks. Unfortunately, medical treatment at the time of King Arthur mostly consisted of leeches and praying, and was not usually very successful, Sir Accalon died four days later. Arthur sent the body back to Camelot, to Morgan le Fay. He sent a note with it which read, Here is a present for you in return for the sword and scabbard which you sent me. Then he rested for a few days before beginning the journey home. Before the present arrived though, Morgan was at work with the rest of her plan, She didn't know that Sir Accalon was dead and expected to hear any day that it was Arthur who had been killed. She asked one of her ladies to bring her a sword. She crept into her bedroom where King Urian's was fast asleep. Just as she was contemplating exactly how to kill her poor husband, she was startled by another presence in the room. The lady had told Morgan's son, Sir Uain, what his mother was about to do. Quickly, he snatched the sword from her. "'If you were not my mother,' "'he said coldly. "'I would cut off your head here and now. "'Oh, my son,' answered Morgan, "'I was tempted by the devil. "'I will never think of doing such terrible things again.' "'Sir Uwaine, probably against his better judgment, forgave her. "'It would not be the last time that Morgan Le Fay "'plotted to have members of her family killed, "'and it certainly would not be the last time "'she tried to deprive King Arthur of his enchanted scabbard. "'In fact, as we will hear in the next chapter,' She was up to her old tricks again within a couple of days. What Arthur learned next, though, was much worse than finding out his half-sister had been plotting against him. What he learned next made him sorrowful and scared. What he learned next was that Merlin was gone forever. A messenger brought him the news. Merlin had gone on a trip. With him was Nimue, Lady of the Lake. As they travelled together, Merlin had taught the watery woman many of his magical mysteries... She swore to him that she would never tell any of his secrets, and he told her more and more. They enjoyed their trips together and got on well. Merlin fell more and more in love with the young lady. Merlin and Nimui travelled over to Gaul, where they met the young Lancelot. Merlin, who knew all about the defeat of King Ban by Claudus of the Wasteland, then went to see Queen Helen, Lancelot's mother. He told the Grateful Queen that her young son would regain all of the lands that King Ban used to rule over. The two magical travellers left Gaul and ventured far and wide. All the while, Merlin taught Nimui the secrets of his magic, and all the while he fell more and more in love with her. Nimue, it seems, did not feel the same way. She had enjoyed Merlin's company at the start of their voyage, but she was becoming tired of him. She was young And he was, by now, an old man. He may have been a great wizard, but he was still an old man. And beyond magic, they didn't really have a lot in common. After a short time, Nimue became very tired of Merlin and wondered how to get rid of him. Now, under normal circumstances, Nimue's course of action would have been clear. What do you do if you want to break up with someone? Well, you tell them as calmly and compassionately as you can, and then move on. Nimue, though, wasn't sure this would work. Merlin was a powerful wizard, and he was head over heels in love with her. Nimue was worried that he'd be furious and that he'd use his magic on her. So, what did she do? She used poor Merlin's magical secrets against him. He had no chance to cast a spell on her, because she cast one on him. Merlin and Nimui travelled to Cornwall. Merlin... Quite oblivious to how Nimue felt, showed her an enormous magical rock as large as a castle. It concealed, said the wizard, wondrous things. Nimue pretended to be interested and asked Merlin to move the rock and show her. This Merlin did. The rock shifted across and Merlin stepped into the spot from which it had been moved. Quick as a flash, Nimue spotted her chance. Summoning up all of the knowledge and power she had gained from Merlin, she magically moved the rock back into its position. Merlin was trapped. Nobody knew the fate of the wizard. Nimue went back to Gaul, and Arthur, as we know, was having his own troubles. The terrible truth was learned when one of Arthur's knights, King Bagdemagus, happened to pass by the rock. He heard Merlin speaking sadly, and called out to him. Merlin told him he was trapped there forever, and wouldn't live much longer. The knight tried and tried to move the huge rock, but a hundred men couldn't have shifted it, nor a thousand nor many more. Merlin was trapped forever, and eventually the great wizard died. Arthur was on his own. His greatest adviser was gone forever. He remembered the last thing the wizard had said to him. He had told Arthur that a woman he trusted would steal his magical scabbard. Arthur breathed a little more easily. At least that had already happened, and he had regained his talisman. At least he was now safe from that. Or was he? just in case he decided to hurry back to Camelot. Next week we will find out whether indeed he was safe. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be very grateful for a favourable review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact me, then please do at mythandhistory@gmail.com, at or at the Paul Vincent Myth and History Facebook page. And please visit the website www. Myth and History 2. So, until next week, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.